Welcome to Cracking Cooperstown, where we talk all things Baseball Hall of Fame and Hall of Fame collecting. Join us as we discuss Hall of Fame voting, autographs, cards, baseballs, resumes, and trajectories. Debate and discussion as we look to crack the code for Cooperstown. I'm Jake, Legends Never Die, your co-host, along with my good friend Dom of Staven Sports Cards. What's up, Dom? We're doing good here, Jake. Um, I'm really excited for this episode. Uh, the first part of this about the contemporary era that we did uh, the last time that we put one of these out was really fun. Uh, got a great response in the live chat during the premiere. Plenty of great comments afterwards. Uh, not too many people joined me on the Steve Finley bandwagon, but I just want to put it out there that there's always going to be room for people to jump on there with me. I just hope that uh, people listen to our arguments about these players. And if they look up their baseball reference page and give them a second look, maybe buy a card or an autograph of the player, uh, that's just more stuff to collect. You know, there's stuff outside of the Hall of Fame and new guys that can get in any given year, depending on the right committee. And like we've talked about in previous episodes, you know, we're not talking about necessarily the the slam dunk guys in this little series that we're doing, uh, because that would be too obvious and there would be no debate. And, you know, those topics are kind of beat to death. Um, so these are kind of some more like under the radar potential committee guys that have a shot to get in while not likely possible. And maybe their resumes need to be debated, discussed and examined a little bit better. Um, and bringing light to some players that maybe outside of the true Hall of Fame junkies uh, may not know about. Uh, so I'm normally a leadoff hitter. That's my style, Dom, so I get to do it a lot. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to give you the mantle to uh, lead us off this time. So hack away, Ricky. <laughs> I'm honored, man. And I agree with you that this is something where we should kind of talk about some of these underrepresented cases. But when we're talking about era committee candidates, we're already talking about underrepresented cases. They're guys that didn't make it in through the writer's ballot and have been on at least one committee for the most part, otherwise where they've been passed over as well. So they have been examined and looked at and kind of given the stamp of no so far. The most obvious guy pre-1980, this classic era that we're talking about today, is Dick Allen, 1964 tops. Dick Allen would have been in the Hall of Fame back in 2022 with that big group of era committee players if he was still alive. He unfortunately passed away. They had to push back the committee voting. And the only thing that had changed since he was one vote short was that he passed away. And Tony Oliva and Jim Cott, who were both living and had less support from the writers, ended up getting those extra committee votes and making it in with David Ortiz in that big class of 2022. But Dick Allen, for that reason, him being missing by one vote each time, I'm already kind of considering he, him not being when he's getting in, but uh, if he's getting in, but when. And because of that, I turned my sights to a player that I don't want to see the same thing happen to as my number one pick. And that is the Cobra. Dave Parker. Now, Dave Parker, I know he played a lot of his career post-1980, but the prime of his career where he was truly considered a top five player in the game, being a top five MVP voter three times 
He was just a monster back-to-back batting titles. When the leaves turn brown, I'll be wearing the batting crown. Dave Parker, one of the best players, cannon arm, hit for average, hit for power. He was a phenomenal player all the way around, over 2,700 career hits. I know you like that. The thing that really got to Dave Parker was the fact that he didn't have a super high war, only 40 career war, and the fact that he had a problem off the field that kind of took away from part of his career. But unlike most people that we see fight demons off the field and get into different problems, he was able to come back with the Cincinnati Reds in the mid-80s and turn his career around. He got second place in MVP voting in 1985 and was able to compile the necessary numbers where I still believe he should be a Hall of Famer. He has not been doing well health-wise. I don't know if anyone's seen the documentaries or any like personal like preferences of him, but he's not doing super well. And it would be an absolute shame if the Hall of Fame does not prioritize getting this man into the Hall. He had everything you want, compiling good numbers, along with having that true peak of being an elite player in baseball. So Dave Parker is my first choice, and his rookie here is 1974 top. Great solo player card. And you can still get autographs of this living legend for very cheap. This is from Fleer Greats of the Game. Stuff like this is just super awesome. And I think that I should have at least promoted one living candidate since that is what the Hall of Fame is trying to move towards with these committees. Well, part of this uh, here podcast is our debate. And I, I'm going to say a couple things about Dave Parker. At the top, a lot of people aren't going to like this. I would not vote for him. However, he is, for someone who just misses based on my metrics and the parameters I use, uh, if you want to know in detail what those are, go back and look at uh, Cracking Cooperstown episode one, uh, where Dom and I talk a lot about what really makes a Hall of Famer and our opinions and the parameters that we use, because I don't want to rehash all that again. Um, But with Dave Parker having over 2,500 hits, that's a you know secondary qualifier for me, needing two of those. Uh, he does not hit a second one, but I will say he's only seven RBIs short of hitting 1,500 RBIs for me. He's right there. He's got the MVP. Uh, he has seven all-star appearances, uh, made one of the most memorable throws uh, in an all-star game. Uh, while my requirement is 10, he's, he's close. Uh, he's got, you know, over 300 home runs. I know Dom likes that a little more than I do. I prefer the 400 as a threshold, but 339, you know, respectable. Um, however, I will agree with Dom from the standpoint of if Dave Parker is going to get in, and I believe that some of the realignment with the air committees is to give the living guys a better shot to get in quicker. It's time. If Dave Parker's going to get in, it's time. So if you're a voter, and you're like 50-50, now's your time to make your decision. If it's a yes, it needs to be a yes now. Um, because it would be a shame to see Dave Parker or any other player get in after they had passed away when there was an opportunity to get him in while they were living. Uh, however, my candidates, I'll go into my first one now, uh, all my candidates are long deceased. Um, you'll kind of see a, a balancing act kind of bounce around between Dom and I here as everything in the classic era now for committees is 1980 and before. So that means it could be 1979, you know, in the heyday of Dave Dave Parker, or it could be in the 
early, early days of baseball in the late 1800s and early 1900s. The first player I want to touch on is George Van Haltren. Uh, what a fun name. I mean, that name sounds like it should be in the Baseball Hall of Fame, right? Uh, but the reason he would be a yes for me, uh, George Van Haltren had over 2,500 plus hits. Uh, he had over 500 plus stolen bases and over 1,500 plus runs. Uh, so those are three secondary qualifiers, which is more than enough for me. Uh, Dom, was George Van Haltren a name that you considered or had looked at, or, or what are your thoughts on him? I think with the way the Baseball Hall of Fame has decided to do the new Hall of Fame era committees, doing 80 and before and 80 to present, I think it's backlogged both committees a lot. Agree. And agree. the problem with the candidates that you're talking about in the early baseball days is they're not just going against these guys who are still living like Dave Parker or guys who played in the golden era of baseball, as Mike Moynihan mm -hmm. likes to call it, the 50s and 60s. They're also going against all the Negro League candidates that more and more information is being put out. Their stats are being converted to Major League Baseball stats. They have all these stories and historians and stuff like that. So while I was very impressed with George Van Haltren's page, he's been passed over so many times. I don't even know the last time he was actually on a committee. I think it's going to be an uphill battle. But when you look into his stats, he is definitely Hall of Fame worthy. The 316 career batting average is also really nice. I know that was a lot more common back then to be hitting over 300, but stuff like that. And he's right around the same war as a Dave Parker at 41.3. So similar candidate that had a different type of game, only 69 career home runs, but a guy that I definitely think that you're looking at this early baseball era of the guys that got skipped over. He should be towards the top of that list. Mm -hmm. And to build upon your secondary point there is we're kind of working through what this committee dynamic looks like. You know, Dave Parker is probably an exception to the rule at this point. Most of the pre-1980 guys that are still kind of hanging around that have somewhat of a real candidacy still have already passed on. Um, I, like I, I said, I think the, the split there was so that for the post-1980 guys, better chance to get them in while they're living. That's good for the Hall of Fame. You know, they want to have guys standing up there at the podium every summer, you know, giving a Hall of Fame speech. That's a better attraction, you know, for the fans of the game to come in. Uh, because while I think someone like George Van Haltren absolutely should be a Hall of Famer, he's not giving a speech in the middle of the summer in Cooperstown, New York. What draw is he going to be? Now, that doesn't take away from his worthiness, but part of what I think the Hall of Fame was trying to accomplish was to help build what that weekend is, uh, to have living candidates year in and year out, even if there is a backlog, in theory, when this committee meets, you know, more frequently than it would have in the past, if they generally spread out between the writer's ballot and this, there should be more living candidates uh, that are a part of that celebration in Cooperstown each and every year. Um, but that being said, we're still going to discuss this era. So who's your next candidate you've got, Dom? And my next candidate is kind of a point of that. Um, Mike Moynihan on the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast, they were talking about the best player outside the Hall of Fame at each position with our good friend James and Elite Hunters as well, two great collectors. And they were talking about Greg Nettles and Michael Young at third base. 
a man who has more gold gloves than the two of them combined and just a better story is Ken Boyer. He's been long passed away. He died in 1982. But Ken Boyer, 282 career home runs, a 61.4 career war, five gold gloves, and was the National League MVP in 1964, the year where the Cardinals actually went on to win the World Series, and Ken Boyer hit the biggest home run of his life in that World Series. So a guy who was great with the bat, very good with the glove. I think he's the best third baseman outside the Hall of Fame by far. Any era, all-around great player, and he has this beautiful 1955 top rookie card with the green. And the same green and yellow pattern is actually on his 64 top stand-up as well. So getting cards that kind of just have these beautiful colors from this classic era, I think he's one of the more obvious candidates, especially when you look at his position. People talked about Scott Rowland getting in. Maybe that changes the bar um, mm -hmm. for third baseman. And I think if you're looking at third baseman outside the hall, while guys like Greg Nettles might be worthy, Ken Boyer should probably get in first when you look at the resume. If you're talking about Greg Nettles as a candidate, you should be talking about Ken Boyer. Yes. Um, again, I sound like Debbie Downer, but I wouldn't vote for him. Uh, however, he does meet one of my qualifiers. He was an 11-time All-Star. Um, and maybe that carries a little bit of extra weight uh, because of the era that he was in. Uh, the 50s, uh, we have referred to it several times as the golden age of cardboard. Uh, he had plenty of competition uh, in the 50s there, uh, especially in the National League. One, as a Braves fan, that particularly jumps to mind, Eddie Matthews. Okay, so... Ken Boyer was getting the nod at least 11 times uh, throughout his career in the NL when he was going head-to-head -head against Eddie Matthews for at least part of his career. Uh, so that says something. Um, and he is close. You know, I'm going to give him some credit of he's not far off for my metrics. And while I'm milestone-oriented, I do have some small hall tendencies. So if you tend to be a bigger hall guy and if it's close for me while being in L, that still carries some weight. Um, now, Dom has shown uh, two guys that uh, you can show cards for. Uh, the first guy, George Van Haltren, that I talked about, uh, I did not show a card. Um, and that is going to be a theme because my next guy, I'll be holding a card like this if you're watching on YouTube, uh, my fingers in a square, because I do not have a card of my next player. Uh, it is the pitcher... Uh, that pitched from 1878 to 1887, and that is Jim McCormick. Now, the reason Jim McCormick is a yes for me um, is that he had 200-plus wins, uh, and he also uh, met the metric for me of having two pitching titles. Uh, now, when he won these pitching titles, it was before the heyday of your Cy Youngs, your Walter Johnsons, those guys. But to do it twice that early um, to, to win uh, uh, two pitching uh, awards like that, uh, I think carries a lot of weight as a pre, uh, how should I call it, pre even really dead ball area, the heyday of the Ty Cobbs, of the Honus Wagners, um, that he's a forerunner to some of the great pitchers we may be more familiar with. Now, granted, again, this era has been picked over 
time and time again. And I think it's really like finding a needle in a haystack at this point of any player uh, from that specific era that's not in yet. But I think Jim McCormick's an exception to that rule. What do you think about McCormick, Dom? Yeah, I think we talked about this actually on the last episode, how it was really tough to find pitchers. I feel like the Hall of Fame kind of knows what a Hall of Fame pitcher looks like and doesn't miss too many obvious people. Uh, We talked about Kurt Schilling as one of my candidates for other reasons outside of his pitching career. But McCormick, he doesn't just have 200 plus wins. He has over 250 wins, 265 to be exact, a career ERA of 2.4. And he only has 1,700 career strikeouts, which doesn't sound like a lot. But when you factor he only played 10 seasons and he played in this early baseball era where there was pride in putting the ball in play and not striking out and there wasn't as many strikeouts, that's still a good amount per year. It's over 170 a year. So he was a very good pitcher in that early baseball world and definitely someone that I feel like if a committee really dug into the stats would be like, how did we miss this guy? Mm-hmm. And you make a good point that I wanted to build upon, you know, he has 265 wins and in his career, if you look at his win totals uh, in different seasons, you know, it ranges anywhere from, you know, five wins in his rookie year in 1878. He had a league leading 45 wins in 1880. Uh, There are other seasons that he had 40, 36, 28, won 20 plus, uh, you know, eight plus times there that, one or two more seasons, because he only pitched till age 30, one or two more seasons, and good chance that he picks up those 35 more wins, gets to the magic number of 300, and we're not talking about Jim McCormick right now. He'd already be in. Um, So if you're a a peak kind of guy, which I'm typically not, but if you're a peak kind of guy, that just is uh, another star on the uh, hat there. Uh, the the pillbox hat there for Jim McCormick. No, it's definitely a good point. I didn't pick any pitchers. I was very tempted uh, because of Jim Cott's election. Me and you both agree that the chances of this man, Tommy John, getting to the Hall of Fame have went mm-hmm. way up, especially with him still being alive. The big difference between Cott and John is the gold glove that Cott had, uh, as mm-hmm. well as him being a little bit older. But I mean, the 1964 Tops rookie card you can still get for very affordable prices, and he's someone that's probably going to get his name called in the next couple of years. You never like to hear his name called because it usually means your favorite pitcher is going down for the year and maybe two years with constructive elbow surgery, but he was the forefather of that, and I think the name recognition paired with the actual good career of Tommy John will probably get him in the pitching world as well. This next guy on my list is probably the one that you were expecting the most from me. I know. And, I know and, it, and it's because he's just so freaking good. And that is Veda Pinson, 1958 tops rookie card right here. Beautiful ketchup and mustard with the reds. And Veda Pinson was marketed to be an absolute star. He was one of these hotter prospects that came up into the big leagues. And something that was actually kind of culturally relevant now is Jose Altuve became the uh, fastest player to reach 2,000 hits, 200 home runs, and 200 stolen bases in his career with 1,631 games. Veda Pinson did it in 
1,739 games, the only players ahead of him are Willie Mays and Alex Rodriguez. So he was an amazing player from the jump in his first full season in 1959. He had over 200 hits. And if you look at his career stats, over 2,700 hits as well, 2,757, which is the right there with Johnny Damon from last episode as most hits outside of the Hall of Fame, 286 career hitter, 256 career war. He scored over 1,300 runs, 1,365. He drove in 1,100 runs, stole 300 bases, which matters to me. He was just a great all-around player that got overshadowed because he played on the same team as Frank Robinson early in his career. And Frank Robinson is known by everybody as the most underrated outfielder of that era because there was Mays and Clemente and Mantle. Imagine being the second guy on your own team where the guy ahead of you is already undervalued. You're not going to get talked about enough. You're going to have trouble in that National League, especially getting all-star nods. He was still able to get four all-stars, even with that competition in that era. Just a really great story, really great hitter. And he has some really great cards throughout his whole career. His 71 tops of him sliding into home is great. This is the 71 tops greatest moments, which is a rare test issue. And it actually talks about him topping 200 hits in his rookie season, uh, well, first full season in 1959. So just a really great player. He delivered on the hype from the jump, but I think he just got really overlooked in an era that we talk about the golden age of baseball where outfield was the premium position, all these major stars in the outfield and Veda Pinson kind of just got overlooked. He does have 2,500 plus hits. Like you mentioned there, you're, you're appealing to my heartstrings, Dom, with the comp to my boy, Johnny Damon, you know, a lot of hits outside the hall. Uh, so he does have that going for him. Um, but I won't, I won't rain on your parade. I know Veda Pinson's your boy, so I'll let you have your moment. Um, but we have, reach the point uh, during cracking Cooperstown where we may do my favorite part. Uh, this is a big part of what makes uh, this podcast what it is. Uh, so what are we going to do, Dom? I believe we're going to crack a slab here at cracking Cooperstown. We are. And today's slab that we're going to crack is a 1933 Gaudi rabbit Moranville Hall of Fame rookie card. Uh, it is currently housed in a, BVG 1.5. Uh, so I think this is the third different grading company that will have cracked on cracking Cooperstown in three episodes. So I'm going to get to work, Dom. Yeah, Rabbit Moranville is actually a player that John Mangini loves a lot. He was Ozzie Smith before Ozzie Smith, a defensive wizard in the field. And he actually compiled a very good, respectable offensive career as well over 2,500 hits, which Jake loves, 2,605. He's only a career 258 hitter, but scored over 1,200 career runs and stole 291 bases. So just a really good player with a very fun nickname. And Rabbit Moranville was elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1954. That's a while since he's been inducted and a player that Definitely doesn't get talked about today, much like these players that we're trying to shine some light on with these episodes. So Robin Branville is getting freed from his plastic prison as we speak, and there he is in the baggie and all. As a Braves fan especially, uh, I enjoy this, uh, getting this one free to add to my set in the binder at home. 
another Hall of Fame rookie. And uh, something I always find found interesting uh, that he liked to do for his autographs. I don't know if you know this or not, Dom, but he liked to write yours in sports, Rabbit Moranville. That was very common uh, for him to write that for any autograph request that he signed. Uh, but there it is, free from its home. There's the slab. You'll see that on my Instagram in the future. <laughs> uh, but we'll continue moving on uh, with our next era committee candidate. Um, I'm going to alternate back to a hitter. And of the four guys I'm going to talk about, um, this is the one that outside of Domini's conversation uh, from this era that the really, really early baseball era that I think gets the most support. Um, it's Bad Bill Dolan. Some say Dalen, Bad Bill Dolan. And the reason I would vote for him, uh, the two metrics that he does actually hit, 500 plus stolen bases and 1,500 plus runs. Now, he is a popular name. I mentioned that. Um, he is in the very popular T206 set. Here's my copy as I show up. You know, my fingers on screen. I don't have one yet, uh, but I hope to someday. But Bill Dolan also uh, just missed the 2,500 hits. I uh, had 2,461. Uh, he did have over 1,200 RBI. I know Dom likes that um, in an early era where runs were at a premium. And while it may or may not matter, he was a World Series champion. Uh, so just worth noting there. What do you think about bad Bill Dolan, Dom? Bad Bill Dolan got completely shelled from the Hall of Fame. Uh, <laughs> there's a really good video on YouTube from Foolish Baseball talking about uh, Bill Dolan's Hall of Fame case and how Bobby Wallace shouldn't have made it over Bill Dolan and all the different cronyism things that happened uh, in those early baseball committees. And you look at Bill Dolan, really good career, uh, someone that I think has been really hurt by what I was talking about with the Hall of Fame, clumping together all these golden era candidates, all these Negro League candidates, and all these early baseball players that have been looked over a lot is there's just not much buzz for some of these early baseball white players like Bill Dolan. And he's someone that I think had his best chance during the 2022 kind of rush in before the new committee started. And he didn't come close to getting in on the early baseball committee. And a lot of people viewed that as a possible like final nail in the coffin. It's going to be a long time, if ever, that Bill Dolan gets into the Hall of Fame. But still a player that was extremely productive in that era. And you can get his cards and stuff from that era a lot cheaper than the guys that are actually in the hall. So definitely an awesome name that many people do talk about as being a possible Hall of Famer. And a, a cool guy to collect uh, in that pre-war era that if you can't afford the Hall of Famers, well, maybe outside shot, you could afford a future Hall of Famer in Bill Dolan. Yes. Who's your next candidate, Dom? This next one was a battle for me, truly a battle of heart versus head. And the reason I say Hart is a player that is very fond to me, maybe as much so as Veda Pinson, is Willie Davis. Mm. This is his 1961 Topps rookie card. I have this beautifully centered copy in a PSA 7 that I got for ridiculously cheap compared to the Hall of Fame rookies in that set. 
And the reason Willie Davis is a heart candidate for me is because he had over 2,500 career hits. He had over, he had almost 400 career stolen bases, 398, has a war over 60. And Willie Davis's name never made the Baseball Writers Association of America ballot. He played over the recommended 10 years and they just decided not to put his name on the freaking ballot. He's the best player ever to not get a chance with the writers. That is unquestioned. But the problem with Willie Davis is, like I said, they want to get these living players in. And Willie Davis is unfortunately passed away. He passed away in 2010. He's an interesting guy off the field, but I think if he's still living, he'd have a much better shot. The reason I didn't go with Willie Davis is because there's a guy who is very comparable stat-wise, I'd say even better in a lot of ways, and he's still living with us. And that is Reggie Smith, mm. 1967 top, rookie card in the high number set, really just great player who came up to the big leagues with the impossible dream Red Sox and immediately as a young player did not back down from the pressure of being a legit hitter switch hitting center fielder turned first baseman he breaks the rule of 2000 with 2020 hits 314 career home runs a career 287 batting average seven-time all-star over 1100 runs scored over a thousand rbis he stole over 137 stolen bases and the man is 78 years old he was part of those impossible dream Red Sox teams. He was part of those 70s Dodgers teams that were always in the mix. He helped the Cardinals and other teams win in different ways. He was part of that 81 Dodgers team as well that won the World Series. Just a guy who was part of a winning culture, put up an amazing career with a war of 64.6 for his career. And the fact that he's still living is why I had to put him over Willie Davis. As great as the story is for Willie Davis the cherry on top would be him still being with us to get honored in person. And I don't want to see a guy like Reggie Smith not get that honor uh, when he's a very comparable center fielder who has been passed over just as much. I think I like your Steve Finley pitch better than your Reggie Smith pitch. From last <laughs> uh, but I, I think if you're going to make the case for Reggie Smith, I will say that I think you've got to be a, a sabermetric guy. You've got to put some weight into war. Um, that's got to be the angle because the the counting stats, whatever reason, you know, longevity, quality, whatever, they're not quite there to some of those milestones. Um, while he does meet the rule of 2000 that we've talked about before uh, and some of the ones that you like to highlight, I think his case has to be a sabermetric one. Um, I wouldn't vote for him, but, you know, that's part of why we do this debate. Now, my last candidate, I'm going to go back to another pitcher. Uh, and for those of you that may not know, I don't even know if Dom knows this. My great, 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 great grandfather came over from Ireland. And this next player is actually an Irish born major leaguer, uh, from the early days of baseball. And some of you old, old, old collectors, some of you pre-war collectors may know this player, but I'm sure most of our listeners have no idea who this guy is, but it's Tommy Bond. And Tommy Bond was a pitcher uh, from Ireland. He had over 200 wins, uh, like I mentioned Jim McCormick a moment ago. He also had two pitching titles, uh, like I mentioned for McCormick. 
But Tommy Bond also won a pitching triple crown. So that's more than enough for me uh, to vote for Tommy Bond. Uh, one of the only other, I think, ex examples uh, from that pre-war era that are, is a pitcher that has been overlooked, in my opinion. Uh, Dom, I know you're Italian, but what do you think of Irishman Tommy Bond? When you look at Tommy Bond's page, it immediately, to me, is not as impressive as Jim McCormick's, just personally preferencing. Um, I think that he has somewhat of a chance just from the name recognition, he was a star for that time. But the, the 60 war is the best part, the, trip, the triple crown ERA titles. But he also pitched 10 years, and the strikeouts were way less than McCormick, 972. I know you didn't have to be a strikeout pitcher to be a winning pitcher, and he was 234 and 163 record, 214 ERA very good numbers, respectable. If he got into the Hall of Fame, I wouldn't be crying up a storm, uh, but I don't think he's as good as Jim McCormick. Uh, the Triple Crown is really like the main thing that Tommy Bond has in his favor in that kind of argument. And like we said, it's hard with pitchers that have been passed over. The Hall of Fame kind of knows what it wants from mm -hmm. a starting pitching perspective. And they're an interesting contrast to be from the same era, whereas, you know, I tend to be milestone oriented. And while McCormick has more wins uh, and more strikeouts, uh, Bond pitched in, let's see, I want to make sure I've got this right. He pitched in 75 less games, uh, but his ERA was, you know, a third of a run lower for his career. But uh, McCormick's war was a fair bit higher with McCormick coming in at 76.2 uh, this is by baseball reference war and Tommy Bond coming in at 60.9 where for his career Bond was close to a 500 pitcher uh, 234 wins to 163 losses where McCormick had a slightly better win percentage if I'm doing my math right in my head uh, with 265 wins and 214 losses I think I said the flip-flop Bond's gap was a little bit better than 500 there so what do you want out of a pitcher, right? Uh, but like you said, uh, for this era, Hall of Fame pitchers have been uh, combed over, examined, looked at. Uh, the Hall of Fame kind of knows what it wants. But I wanted to include some pitchers in my discussion, since I know you were going more uh, hitter heavy coming into this, uh, so that we kind of got a, a good look across the spectrum. Because 1980 and back as an entire committee, that covers a lot of players. Uh, so while you highlighted this time, highlighted a little bit more closer to the golden era, uh, I went a little more pre-war so we could hit a few different parts of the spectrum. Uh, but that, that was my last candidate. Yeah, so, and I, I think that we both gave like pretty fair arguments for these players. And much like people were not on board with Steve Finley with me last week, I mean, or like last episode, these players were not saying that their slam dunk cases they need to be voted in the very next time this committee meets. We're just trying to shine light on these candidates that have been looked over for whatever it means. They aren't on the Baseball Writers Association ballot. Willie Davis, my boy, never even made that ballot. Mm -hmm. So just, just giving you some names to look out there if you're an autograph collector, a potential 
prospecting for rookie hall of famers get these cards now any guy who had a really good career from these eras as they continue to get combed over if they have whatever your hall of fame qualifications may be whether you're more strict like jake or a little more open-minded like me you can find guys that hey reggie smith great career still living he might actually get the call and buying his rookie card in a six when you know what the hall of fame rookies from the 67 set go for they're way more deserving way better players it makes sense why it is but if he gets the hall of fame tag on him the gap's going to close i'm not saying it's going to be right there but it's going to close and that kind of stuff is super fun um, for collecting i know me and you like to do that you because of your sets and me just because of being a hall of fame nut getting these rookie cards of these stars whether they're passed away decades like your early baseball guys or some of these guys passing away in the 90s or 2000 2010 the um, few that are still with us as well so and the, I, and the collectibles of the pre-war guys that i'm talking about you know if you want to own some of these guys that may be in the the old judge sets, you know, 1800s cards. Uh, most collectors can't afford the Hall of Famers from those sets, but maybe you can buy a future Hall of Famer. Uh, same for the T206 set. A lot of people think, man, T206 Hall of Famers, you know, I can't afford, you know, any of those guys, even the Hugh Duffy's of the world. Well, maybe you get a bad Bill Dale in T206, and if he gets the call someday, you know, you've got a T206 Hall of Famer on your hands. Uh, if not, You've got a good player with a great story from a historic set. Uh, so I think that's, you know, some of the reasons why you should consider uh, the pre-war guys as well, even though they may never get the call. Um, but as you wrap up listening to this episode of Cracking Cooperstown, leave your thoughts below. Uh, you know, which one of the ones do you agree with Dom and I on? Which one of the ones do you disagree with Dom and I on? You know, that's part of the fun, the debate and the discussion. Uh, as long as we don't make it personal, uh, that, that's a fun thing to do. Uh, you can contact me here on my channel. I'm sure Dom will be checking the comments as well. He's again over at Staven Sports Cards. Uh, and, or if you want to reach out to me on Instagram, I'm at Legends Never Die Collection. And Dom, what's your Instagram? It's also Staven Sports Cards. So you, you can find me there at all places. Um, definitely a really fun show. I know some people are crying out about their favorite pre-1980s Hall of Fame guy that they think should be in, uh, whether it's a Steve Garvey, a Thurman Munson, a Roger Maris. The, the list goes on of guys who have name cachet but didn't quite make the arguments for me. I wanted two living guys and, and two passed away guys that I really believe in. And for the people who are very invested into these Negro League stories and these early baseball players that we don't have a ton of information on, me and Jake both love hearing those stories and reading about them. But the reason we kind of abstained from those cases and names is just because we're not the forefront of that expertise and conversation. So plenty of these awesome early Negro Leaguers that we're still learning about their stories and People are bringing really good pitches to these era committees every year to get people in like Bud Fowler in 2022. That kind of stuff is really awesome. And I know it will continue to happen through these era committees. Their resumes are still being written, which is a rare thing to say for players that played a long time ago. Uh, so that's why we didn't get too far into their discussion, like Dom said. Uh, but for all of you out there, uh, thank you for listening. 
Hope you tune into the next episode of Cracking Cooperstown. Until then, keep collecting and God bless.